Smartcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Let me start this podcast with a question. How good are you at making decisions? To be a good leader, you need to make sound decisions. If you're anything like me, you make hundreds of decisions in a week. I tend to make my decisions quickly. I live by the mantra I learned from my first CEO. He taught us to be decisive and fix it along the way. But I might be falling into a trap. Today, my guest is Matthew Confer. He has observed hundreds of leaders making decisions in team-based business simulations, and he's learned some very interesting things. In fact, he did a TED Talk last year discussing these findings. I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about these important discoveries. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matthew Confer. Matthew is the head of strategy and business development for Ability. Ability is a leadership development company that offers team-based leadership simulations. Last year, Matthew did a TED Talk on three steps to better decision-making, which has close to 40,000 views. I wanted to get him on the show to talk about how leaders can make better decisions. This is a topic we haven't tackled yet on the show, so I'm excited to have Matthew here. So, Matt, welcome. Well, John, it's great to be here. So, tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Ability. Yeah, so I started my career in Boston, Massachusetts, actually at Deloitte Consulting. And at some point, I met my now wife, um, and we were both working at Deloitte, and we absolutely loved Boston, Massachusetts, but we were not as big of a fan of the cold weather. So when presented with an opportunity to move out to Austin, Texas, we both jumped on it. And Deloitte was a wonderful place to start my career. But after moving on from a managerial position at Deloitte, I moved into another consultative role, then to a fintech company. And then I stumbled upon Ability, which as you referenced in the introduction, is a leadership development company that was founded here in Austin and have really found the sweet spot for me from a career perspective. 
Well, from everything I see about Ability, it seems like an amazing company. What what do you do there? And like, who are the customers that you deal with? And what what are what are the things that you do? And I think what you provide in terms of leadership development is very unique from anything I've ever seen before. So maybe you could share a little bit about what they do there and what you do there. Yeah, so we're a provider of team-based immersive business simulation. So some of the way that I describe it is if you took SimCity or you took a kind of gamified approach to training managers and leaders, what would that look like? And for us, what it looks like is an immersive technology where you're actually simulating some of the decisions that you make in a leadership role. Mm. Many instances, what we talk about is for pilots or for healthcare workers or for members of the military, there's a real focus on training by doing. Um, Before you fly the plane, you get into a simulator. So for one of our simulations, for example, which we call management challenge, you actually manage virtual employees who have personality profiles. (laughs) send you emails. They respond to you based on the decisions that you make and how you allocate your time. And so our real focus is kind of, for lack of a better way to describe it, real world practice without real world consequences. Do you want to make a decision that impacts your P&L? Well, you might want to do that in a simulated world mm. before you actually get to running a P&L in the real world. So that's, that's really the bulk of the work that we do. That's amazing. And and uh, we talked a little bit before we went on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm an ex-submariner. And the way we trained, we trained in simulators, right? Uh, we obviously didn't want to be firing uh, weapons uh, at actual submarines out there. So we did a lot of our training and tactic development in simulators. So, uh, and we became very good at it. So then we went, when we went to the range, we actually fired torpedoes and we actually conducted real operations, it was second nature to us. It was muscle memory. We had developed the skills required to do it even in the the worst circumstances. So we trained and trained and trained in simulators, and then we did it in real life. So it sounds like you're doing that or bringing that into into leadership, into management, and it's, it's very, very unique. Yeah, and one thing that we found as an organization is you know, training that is somewhat passive, where you're sitting in a classroom and and you're learning um, some great tactics, but maybe you're not putting them into action. It's Mm. a little bit easier to get distracted. Maybe the learning objectives get lost. If you have a ticking clock during one of our simulations, if you have teammates depending on you, if there's a competitive element, it's just a little bit harder to grab your iPhone, flip over to a YouTube video and get distracted. You're a little bit more engrossed and immersed in the training, which we find to be a really powerful tool to utilize. Oh, that's powerful. I really think that's great. And, and you, what are the kind of companies you're working with? Who comes in and does that kind of training? So we're also firm believers in the fact that our simulations should be somewhat industry agnostic. So being a good manager should go across multiple industries. So the simulations that we work with with Dell Computers, which is a, a client of ours, are actually similar simulations to who we utilize with Coca-Cola. So mm-hmm. selling computers is very different than selling a consumer packaged good soft drink product. But our belief is that having a base level understanding of what does it mean to be a good people manager or what does it mean to be somebody that understands financial acumen should kind of go across industries. So, so that's kind of our focus as, a, as an organization. 
Okay. That sounds good. I mean, I led in military and then I came and did 22 years in, in corporate America. And I would say, you know, the ability to lead people, uh, you know, lead a group of people in a certain direction, those skills were the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole process was different. The military was different than civilian world. But, you know, the idea of, you know, treating people with respect and, and listening to their ideas and these these things were all common in both the military and business. So, so yeah, it we, makes sense. Yeah. We sometimes joke as an organization that we'll, we'll start talking to a client and they'll they'll have this wonderful plan put together. I mean, I think the one thing that I've learned about being in the learning industry is the people are unbelievably passionate about growing the skill set of their employees, but they all think that they're in some way a special unicorn and their <laughs> struggles with things that no other organization struggles with. And when they start rattling off what they want their leaders and their rising leaders to do more of, we just kind of start nodding our heads and realize that most organizations are struggling with the same things. And, mm. and thankfully, we get to be a part of kind of helping move them in the right direction. I like that. I like that. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Um, you did a TED Talk, and that's pretty cool. So um, you talked about um, three ways to make better decisions. And it, from, from you know, I, I watched it. It was, it was a fascinating talk, and I really enjoyed it. Because I think you, talk, you talked about sort of the, the pitfalls in what uh, a, lot of, a lot of managers and leaders do and leadership teams do when they're faced with a challenge. And it seemed like uh, having observed a lot of the companies that go through these uh, leadership simulations, you got a chance to see some of those pitfalls. You got to see people running off into a direction without, uh, you know, ready, uh, what was it, ready, fire, aim uh, kind of mentality. So how did you um, choose this particular topic for the TED Talk and how did you even get into doing a TED Talk? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting story. We, we've had over in the past two years, probably 20,000 people in 30 different countries around the world go through one of our simulations. And so as a team, we kind of got together and, and I've had the pleasure of facilitating many of these experiences. And, and what I find fascinating is, is how people make decisions, how when teams are at a crossroads and there's just ambiguity run amok, how does a team actually make a decision or how does an individual make a decision. And one of the things that you kind of innately think about is you go straight to Google and you just say, you know, how does somebody make good decisions? And when you do that, you have about 490 million some odd results <laughs> back at your face. And so I knew that decision making was something that I kind of wanted to focus on. And there's a TEDx organization um, in Northern Texas. And I ended up getting in contact with them and they were on board um, with the idea of me sharing from the stage what we've learned about effective decision making for leaders. So we called it before you decide and, and we pitched it as a three-step decision making process from the thousands of individuals that we've seen kind of struggle and succeed in our simulation. Okay. So what were some of the key points in that? Because I really enjoyed that, especially uh, uh, subject number two, which was kind of near and dear to my heart being ex-military. So talking about some of those, uh, some of the things that, that people should be doing before they make decisions. What are those three items? Okay, I am a fan of number two as well, but I'll kick it off um, <laughs> with the first one, which we called challenge the constraints. And the reason was, what we found was the innate decision, what happens is you see a problem and all you want to do is solve it. You're, you see something and you're just like, let's go. 
And what we've noticed is teams and individuals that are more successful are those that take a step back and first say, you know, what barriers are holding us back to a real breakthrough? You really need to determine the constraints and do that before you jump down this path of starting to solve it. So one of the things that we've noticed is it might be beneficial to challenge the constraints or reframe the problem before you just start solving it. Because once you go down that path of starting to solve it or starting to make that decision, you somewhat become wedded to the path that you've started on. So take the step back first and challenge the constraints. So what are, what are some examples? You, you told a story in the TED Talk, but what are some examples of constraints that might be placed on a team that they ought to sort of question that right from the get-go? Yeah, so the example from the, the talk is at a, at a university, there was a class on entrepreneurship, and the professor handed every group um, an envelope with $5 in the envelope and told them that they basically had to create a company utilize this $5 and try to grow it as much as they could. And there were really no um, limitations placed on them. So companies that were just formed did many numbers of things. Some bought products, tried to sell them at a higher price. Some tried to create maybe an online business and sell something. And what the winning team ended up doing is the winning team didn't even use the $5. They challenged the constraints of the exercise completely. And what they did was they went around to businesses in the area of the university and found a business that wanted to pay them for the right to take over the presentation because the one thing that the teacher told them is at the end of this whole experience, you're going to get to present to all of the other students and tell them what you did. And what this group did was this group said, well, we're a bunch of university students. We're probably pretty appealing to companies in town who might want to recruit us. What if we just sold our presentation slot? And so the $5 stayed in the envelope. That was a constraint. And they said, we're not even going to worry about it. This company will pay us and we never have to buy anything with this $5. I love it. You know, it's interesting because I'm uh, maybe because I I served in the nuclear submarine force and we were taught and trained and I'm also an engineer, but uh, sort of follow the rules, right? You know, you tend to, there's some people who are rule followers and I imagine this happens. You see this in the simulator simulations too, is that you lay out all these constraints and these rules and there are some people on the teams that are, okay, well, no, we can't do this because he said that this was part of the, these, these were the rules, right? And then you have one guy probably sitting in the back or, or one uh, woman that says, wait, let's, why don't we just go in this direction? So someone who just says, don't worry about the $5, I got a better idea. It's almost like uh, trying to, don't let the, don't let the rules or, or the, the constraints uh, control you, right? I I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, sometimes you still use the $5 in the envelope to continue on the story. And that's not a bad thing if you first took a chance to actually see if that was the right path. You almost become more prepared to do the right thing if you first kind of take a big step back and take that proverbial kind of 20,000 foot view of let's just actually reframe and understand the situation. Mm, I like that. I like that. Uh, so the second one, and which I liked uh, just because of my military background. So talk about what um, what people should do as well for that second step. 
Yeah, so I refer to it as embrace a pre-mortem. And we're all kind of very familiar with post-mortems, which is pretty standard in the business world and and other worlds, where you wait until a decision is over or the problem has been solved. Then you all get together and you brainstorm, you know, what went right or what went wrong. And what we found is people's natural inclination at the beginning or the onset of a decision is to assume they are going to be unbelievably successful. Mm -hmm. It's just human nature to envision success. And the teams and the people that we see most successful in our simulations are ones that actually assume what they're going to do is going to be an unmitigated failure and figure out why, if they're correct in that, that would happen and then act to mitigate those outcomes. So assume that you will fail if you go down this path and brainstorm and do a pre-mortem about why that failure would happen. Mm-hmm. And it actually makes you a more effective decision maker. So this is very uh I guess contrarian, right? I mean, especially me being an optimist, right? And 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 you know, I started my own business, right? Everything's going to be perfect, right? <laughs> so when you start a business, you're rah rah, everything's going to be great. And I'm five years in, and you know, it's it's rough, it's hard, it's tough to to build something from the ground up. Um, and I would say this: we never considered like, what if we fail, or you know, what would what would be the reasons why we'd fail? But I think if we had done that, we probably would have done some things differently. We went, you know, headstrong into, well, we're smart guys, uh, we have great products, we can convince the market because uh, we have all this past experience. But it's a lot harder than uh, we ever anticipated. So I think, you know, thinking about and 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 you know, it might be interesting too because I think leaders tend to be you know, good leaders tend to be optimistic, right? They tend to set a vision and and so they, they get hit with a lot of problems along the way, but they're able to overcome that because they have that vision. They have a, a dream, a desire, a focus. And so they stay optimistic even in bad times. So how do we switch gears a little bit and be a little bit pessimistic? Like, okay, what? That, that's hard. It would be hard for me when I, when I heard that. So I think it is difficult. And I think what what we suggest to a lot of the organizations that we work with is if you want to really embrace this step and embrace a premortem, think back to a time when you failed or when you made a decision that you would love to have back. And would you have gone down that path if you had taken the step back initially and said, if we fail, this is how we could fail. And is the way you failed one of the ways that you might have brainstormed? Mm. And most likely it would be. And so for those big decisions that are coming up in your future, do you think it might behoove you to take the five or 10 minutes and brainstorm out? You still might go down the same path, but if you spend the intellectual capital to think about the ways something might fail, you're going to make better decisions. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Deep Leadership is brought to you by Strikeforce Energy. Strikeforce Energy is a veteran-owned company founded by a Navy SEAL, and their products are all made in the USA. Strikeforce Energy is a liquid flavor pack that you can add into any beverage. It has zero calories, zero carbs, and zero sugar. Each pack contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. Strikeforce Energy is offering a discount to all the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to strikeforceenergy.com and enter the discount code I have the watch, one word, for a 20% discount on every order. Deep Leadership is also brought to you by my Amazon best-selling book, I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following. This book is filled with 23 short stories on how you can become a more effective leader. 
It's super easy to read and most people finish it in less than two hours. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and click the large orange button for signed copies. Enter the discount code IHaveTheWatch, one word, at checkout for 20% off your order and domestic shipping is always free. The other thing is uh, you tell the story and the next on the third item, you tell the story of one of my favorite stories about the Mars uh, probe shooting right past Mars and missing because they didn't check the basics, right? Is that So that's your third step is making sure you're taking care of the basics, right? Yeah. And part of the reason that we came to this is, like I mentioned, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with some pretty incredible leaders at some very well-known organizations that are unbelievably complex thinkers. And what sometimes fascinates me is how the little details are what trips them up. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of our simulations, you don't need to create spreadsheets. You don't need to do unbelievable like mind map modeling, but you'll walk around or you'll be in the virtual classroom with some of these teams and they'll have these grandiose projections and different spreadsheets that are linked to all these different things and my mind is blown and then the final thing that trips them up is you know something small they'll just forget to communicate something to their teammate or they'll forget to check a box and so we think that something that leaders need to do is if you've challenged the constraints and you've embraced a pre-mortem you really need to check the basics. You need to ensure that when the decision gets complex, you've crossed all the T's and you've dotted all the I's. So yeah, we reference a story in the talk about um, a mission to study the climate of Mars and the mission failed. And the reason that it failed is because there were two groups working on the project and one of the groups was using the metric system. And the other group was doing their measurements in inches and feet and in pounds. And so you had legitimate rocket scientists not communicating and checking the basics on a multi, multi multi-million dollar project. And so I think it really speaks to how easy sometimes it is to overlook the basics. Yeah, no, you know, in in all my years in leadership, I can tell you stories where we missed the basics and it's not good and uh, it's embarrassing. And uh, I'll tell you one quick story. We, um, I was a QA manager at one time in a manufacturing operation down in Florida, and um, we made this uh, electrical switch switch panels. And um, I got a call. We worked hard. We had a job that we had to get out. We worked hard. We got it out, and uh, it took a long time. Uh, you know, late hour, late nights, and long. You know, you know, weekend long. We but we got it out, and and then we got it to the customer, and the customer called me right away as the QA manager and said, "Hey." did you guys forget an air wrench? Because I've got one and sitting in the back of the gear. So we left one of the tools inside the piece of equipment. So, and that's a little embarrassing to get that phone call. So, you know, get the details right, get the basics right, take a walk around before you put, you know, get it on the, the truck and ship it out, right? Oh, I <laughs> love that story. And I do think a lot of the the teams that we watch um, that's one of the resounding things that that really sticks with them after the simulation. You know, when when I was sweating a little bit, when the clock was ticking down, what I really forgot to do, and I think it's kind of emblematic of what I sometimes struggle with in the real world, is I forgot to just make sure the basics were right. And and yeah. that's I think something that I always want to leave 
um, leaders and managers with is make sure that those things are, are buttoned up fully so you don't make those kind of somewhat disastrous mistakes after investing so much time in a complex yeah. Yeah, no, I I felt it. I felt the the, the pain of uh, not taking care of the basics that day. So, so why do you think why do you think leaders uh, rush into into decisions? Why do you think that they don't consider these basic steps and, and they kind of, you know, I I, I call it um, you know ready shoot aim where they just sort of jump into something. Um, is it just that they have biases based on years of making, you know, successful decisions? Is it, um, is it ego? Is it, um, you know, what are the reasons why we jump into decisions without really considering some of these factors? I think it's a lot of things. I think many of the things that, that you hit, if, if something has worked in the past or we believe that it has worked in the past, we're kind of reticent to change things. One of the things that I like about training opportunities is it gives you a little bit of a blank slate to try different things. Um, mm. I, as a manager, you know, early in my career, I really struggled with, I think what a lot of people struggle with is you just assume everybody wants to be managed the way you would want to be managed. Mm. And that's yeah. what you know. And until you get an opportunity to kind of try it, you don't really think about different ways to focus on the motivators of different staff that you have. And so I think a lot of the times we get stuck in a certain way of doing things because it's gotten us to where we are. And, and I like the idea of kind of pushing our comfortable limits a little bit and seeing where we can go if we try different approaches. Yeah, I like that. And and one of the things that when you said early on, I thought that was interesting during these business simulations that you can actually, for the virtual employees that people are managing, you can dial in their personality settings and you can create this um, real world type of scenario because every person, as you know, uh, through your experience in leading is different and they're led differently and they're motivated differently and different things inspire them, different things work with them. And um, when we take a cookie cutter approach, uh, we tend to uh, not be very successful in leading. We have to actually focus on the individual and, and their talents and their needs. So I think having that simulation where you can dial in, you know, some of the some of these characteristics of employees, the one that's always asking questions or the one that's always late or the ones that that has to think things through or, you know, I just think it's really kind of neat. Uh, I, I wonder what those dials look like. And it might be kind of fun to dial in some, uh, some really hard employees. <laughs> it's really funny that you say that one of my favorite stories from one of my first facilitations that I ever did was our simulation or one of them has an engagement meter for every virtual employee. Oh, that wow. And then it also has like a background or like a profile of what they want out of their job and you learn more about them. And at the end of a training session, I actually was walking around the room and there was a senior leader of an organization and he was kind of doodling on his paper, but it kind of looked like the simulation. And I asked him what he was doing and he was actually taking the context of what is the engagement and what is my profile and doing it for his 10 real world employees. And he said, you know, for the first time, I never really thought about, you know, who are my green engagements? Who are my yellow engagements? Who are my red engagements? And what do they want? Like he was starting to just dial into what was motivating his real employees, taking kind of a learning and a lesson from the simulation. Ah, I like that. I like that. That's really neat. So you're actually start thinking about your employee as that, that graph or that, uh, what does this, this one look like compared to this one? Yeah. So mentally you have a mental model for uh, dealing with each individual. I like that. 
I think it's really helpful. It's kind of, it's a, it's an interesting way to think, you know, have you ever thought about if you were faced with writing down in two sentences, what motivates each of your employees and are they at the current time, a green, you know, super motivated, really engaged. Are they a yellow or are they a red? And if you've never done that, do it. And then is there a reason you're not having the one-on-one meeting that you probably should be having with that quote unquote red employee? And and when you get ready for that meeting, you're probably going to want to understand what motivates them or have that sort of thought go through your head. Mm, I love that. That's great. So what, um, what are some companies uh, that, that you know, have gone through the program? We have 20,000 people have gone through. What are, what are some of the takeaways they have when they go through the simulation and they, they have these experiences uh, in the lab, if you will, in a safe environment? And um, are, there, are there some big aha moments as they do it? And what are some of those? Yeah, so we've kind of bucketed the simulations into three core areas. So one of them is people management, one of them is financial and business acumen, and then one of them is strategic leadership and kind of a focus on cross-functional collaboration. So I'll just quickly hit kind of the biggest takeaways in each in each of them. Um, for the management simulation, and we've kind of hit on it a little bit, the biggest takeaway is usually what's motivating our staff? Why do they come to our company? Why do they want to grow with our company? And how can our managers actually focus their attention on developing the leaders of tomorrow? I think the biggest thing that we hear from clients is we want to utilize our people managers as a retention and a recruitment tool. We want to build the bench of future leaders. So that's probably the biggest takeaway from the people manager simulation. How do you motivate and how do you actually understand why people are excited to come to work here? On the financial acumen simulation, I think the biggest thing that we hear time and time again is, you know, I've managed a P&L for two years, or I'm a leader who got promoted into a role where I was going to need to interface with our finance team. And the only reason I got promoted is because I was darn good at my job, not because I really understood how my work ties to our income statement or our cash flow statement. And so I think there's unfortunately a general lack of core financial knowledge about what does it mean to drive value to the bottom line and how does my team's action roll up to the whole company. So that's probably the biggest thing that comes out of that simulation. And then our flagship simulations are focused on strategic thinking and decision making in kind of conditions of ambiguity. And I think the biggest thing that we find in that simulation is It's all about cross-functional collaboration, and most organizations really struggle with breaking down the silos between departments. So we as a complex organization really need to have our marketing team aligned with our sales team, but we need finance to be able to share things. And as an organization, we're really good in our small little pod, but we're not that good when we break down and focus across how we're actually disseminating information across departments or across regions. And how do we better communicate um, when the clock is ticking down or when times are challenging and, and there's stress kind of run amok? Um, yeah, all three of those key learnings I've, you know, I've observed, I've seen uh, in my time in corporate America, all these failures and in, in, or struggles, if you will. And it's interesting that in that simulation, you get to see that in a safe environment, you get to fix it, you get to address it, uh, you know, in your, come, you know, go back to your organization and fix some of the things you saw. So that's really powerful stuff. That's great. 
So let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, Matthew, you have, a, you have a podcast. So tell us a little bit about the podcast and what, what you're doing on the podcast, who, what kind of guests you have on. And, and uh, I wanted you to get a chance to talk about that. So. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I will um, take behind the curtain for myself. I have been obsessed with podcasts for as long as I can remember. Um, I absolutely love them, love the medium, think it's a really interesting way to connect with people. I've made a lot of connections through podcasts. And late last year, we had heard from a lot of our clients and our partners from around the world that said, you know, you, your organization is interacting with a lot of interesting people. Have you ever thought about taking some of the webinar conversations or just some of the one-on-one conversations and turning it into a podcast medium? So our team made the decision. We called it Learn to Lead. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a mistake or the decision to let me host it, which has been <laughs> a wonderful, uh, fun process. And basically, it's all about the world of leadership development and kind of the journey that we all take learning to lead. So we talk about leading teams more effectively, how organizations can enhance their approach to developing the leaders of tomorrow. And I think the best part about the show or the part that I've enjoyed the most is we talk to people about their own leadership journey. And and that's, I think, what has resonated with me in my career at Ability is we all got to our place from a different path. um, But that's a really fascinating thing that I think adds little nuggets of how we can all be better leaders by learning from others. I think that's great. Learn to lead. So I just uh, put on, I'm subscribed now and I'm looking forward to this. I actually listened to a few of the, a few of the episodes and really you're a great host and uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more of the interviews. So very good on that. So, and we'll put that link in the show notes. So let me ask you one final question before we wrap up. Um, I've been asking this question to all my guests in your opinion, what are some characteristics and especially because you get to see these real leaders in action. So what are some characteristics of great leaders? I think the best leaders that I have ever seen in the simulation or that I've had the pleasure of working with in the real world, I think they focus on consensus building. Um, They really want things to be a group decision, or if it can't be a group decision, if it has to be a decision that the leadership team makes or the leader individually makes, they make sure to go out and get consensus before they move forward. And sometimes that's not possible, or sometimes you get pushback and you still need to go forward. But I have great respect for people in the simulation who take the extra two minutes to say, hey guys, I just got an alert on my screen. Our team's running into a big challenge from another competitor. This is what I want to do. Is everybody on board? Mm -hmm. Um, And many times, most people don't take that extra step. If they're presented with the opportunity, they just decide. And in the real world, I think I have always had the greatest respect and I try to be a leader that gets a level of consensus wherever possible so that we all feel like we're in it together. So I think consensus building would be my answer. Okay, that's good. That's important. In fact, uh, my last week's guest, uh, we talked about the idea of, of of questions and conversations with employees, right? And 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 if you want to know, uh, if you want to get your employees on board, you talk to them. You ask them, "What do you think we should do here? What's the best solution going forward?" And then when you have that conversation, you you have their buy-in. They they feel like they're part of the solution, and so there's a much more engagement 
with, uh, you know, putting the solution forward. So getting people involved, getting their opinions, getting their buy-in, that's a really important part of uh, leading people towards a direction if they, if they have some sort of stake in it, if they've had their opinion listened to. I think we find a lot of leaders don't listen to their employees and, and they don't take the time to listen. And that's one of the reasons people quit companies because they say, well, my opinion doesn't matter. People don't listen to me. Um, they do whatever they want to do and no one ever checks with me. Well, if you can just simply reach out, get some consensus when you're going to make a decision that can make all the difference in that particular metric. So that's great. Now it's good to hear. So how can uh, our listeners connect with you and find out more about Ability, your TED Talk, and your podcast? I really appreciate it. So um, um, Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn, Matthew Confer is the best way to get in touch with me. The podcast, as I mentioned, is called Learn to Lead, and, and thank you for the kind words. Um, and our organization is called Ability, and so you can find us at abilitie.com. And it's been an absolute pleasure, John. Uh, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. And we will put all of the links to uh, Matthew's uh, TED Talk, Ability, and the podcast. We'll put that in and actually to Twitter as well uh, on in the show notes. So you can find it and you can, uh, you can ask Matthew directly uh, kind of questions you might have about the simulations because we just scratched the surface here. So thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you, John. Okay, well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey, guys. It's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.